1: You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Every business needs a website that performs for their business, but beyond a good content management system and regular content updates, it takes a lot to maximize your return on investments in this critical marketing platform. In a special episode brought to you by RDA and Sitecore, we're going to talk about getting the most value from your digital experience platform investment. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Sue Rivero, Director of Customer Success at RDA. Sue, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, looking forward to talking about this topic with you. Why don't we uh, get started with you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing at RDA?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. I've been in this line of work for a really long time, but... Not always on the agency side. I started out actually from about 2000 to 2013. I worked directly for organizations where I was responsible for the websites and marketing technology. It was a good time because I was able to work for large companies like Siemens and ADP and Iron Mountain. And I was in the position where these are large companies and I was able to hire best in class agencies that specialize in everything from UX design, content development, CMS implementation, analytics, SEO, and just so much more. But I also had the opportunity to work for smaller organizations with tight budgets where I needed to take on those responsibilities myself. And while I learned a lot working with the big agencies, nothing could replace the knowledge I gained while being hands-on. But then in 2013, I made a big shift from being the consumer to a provider of digital consulting services and, and I haven't looked back since and today I'm like you said director of customer success at RDA and I have the opportunity to leverage my 20 years of experience helping clients make the most of their DXP investment and super rewarding love my job
1: wonderful great well let's uh let's get started talking about uh, DXps here and get started by talking about some of the challenges that brands currently face so creating a great website is not easy. I've certainly created many in in, in my day as well, and it, it takes a lot of resources to do well. Thus, it's important to ensure that the company's able to uh, see and measure the return on an investment. So optimization services are one way to do this. What are optimization services and how are customers leveraging these services to get more value from their DXP investments?
0: So let me start by saying, from my experience, a lot of times when you're doing a large website implementation, and they're usually re- done start over every three to four years. And when you're doing a large implementation, it takes a lot of human and financial resources to launch a new website. And when you do it, you just you just want to cross that finish line, and you're exhausted. But we don't want it to be a one and done kind of a thing. So. At RDA, our optimization services are a proactive approach where we provide the highest level of service and insights to the customers. Just It's throughout their entire technology investment. We offer man- application-managed services where we keep the application running smoothly with continuous monitoring, updates, and security patches. Standard stuff there, but we do have the best tooling. Mm-hmm. Then we have retainer services. Customers are assigned a team of expert resources across various disciplines like strategy, design, development and the allocation is actually flexible. It's it's designed to meet the needs of the client. So it can vary monthly. Some months you may need more design work and other time more development and and it's you know, it's a white glove approach and it's very custom and we're partners with our clients. And and the good thing about our retainer services and our optimization services in general is it's we have an assigned team, and they stay with the client as their site evolves, and, and it really leads to more efficiency, consistent results, and lower costs. We also offer personalization. So Sitecore is such an amazing tool, and we have so much, so many success stories with personalization, and our strategy group is is just the best. So we offer strategy in the beginning of the process, you know, strategy. And then once we launch the site, we help implement the personalization and we measure it. And we also offer enablement services. We'll train the people on the team if they want to do the work themselves or we're happy to do it for them. Whatever whatever the client needs, we're really all about serving them. Yeah. But I'd say one of my, the favorite part of our services is what I refer to as performance services. And the first goal is to attract more visitors to the website. So we assist the marketing teams. We help them identify what works, what we can track and how we could optimize it. And we guide the customers in creating personalized experiences that encourage conversions and repeat visitors. So we're not going to let them rest on their laurels. We're going to make it easy for them to take it to the next step after the launch. Okay, how can we, how can we make this beautiful thing perform?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so you're, you are, as we said at the top of the show, you're a director of customer success and wanted to talk a little bit more about that as well. You know, what are, what are some of the customer success best practices that customers are using today that to your point earlier, you know, once they launch, their website, they, they ha- may have a brand new digital experience platform, uh, they may be upgraded, wh- whatever the case may be. What are some of those customer success best practices that help them maximize those DXP investments?
0: Sure, well, first thing we make sure everything is measurable and make sure it's measurable and that we're constantly measuring it. We look at each data point as an opportunity for improvement and we engage iteratively. So we'll test everything and we'll make some changes and hopefully improvements. And with real-time monitoring to alert us if something isn't performing to our expectations, we're seeing a lot of success. I'm actually working with a client right now where after several iterations, we were really happy with the performance. And there wasn't a lot that we could think of to, to optimize it any further. So we shifted our focus from enhancing the customer experience to driving more traffic to the site through search engine optimization and we're seeing a lot of success. So we're bringing qualified visitors through SEO to a an already optimized site and specifically some some pages. So
1: Yeah, yeah. And so all of this takes a lot of different types of teams and and practice areas right so you know it's not just software engineers it's not just designers or ux designers it's not just marketers it's kind of everybody working together so how do you how do you work and blend engineering and strategy and and these other expertises into this ongoing optimization of the platform
0: i think we're kind of heading a little bit into headless and composable but let me just say marketers and developers can more easily make changes in the back and front end using the headless architecture. And it dramatically improves administrative efficiency and supports continuous deployment of various av- applications. All departments have you know everybody has their favorite tool. And unlike when we had the big monolithic CMS system where it, it tried to serve every purpose. Now with the composable architecture business departments can use their favorite systems and tools and work more efficiently and nobody has to make any sacrifices.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely and that composable approach and headless, you know, just it's it I believe it's really just the future of of how things are done. So many reasons to do that, and and I've I've been fortunate to be able to work on some some rather novel uses of of some of that headless and, and composable stuff, and and really seen seen some of those benefits. And you know, so so along those lines, obviously these investments are made. It's it's DXP investments can be time consuming and and certainly a a, a significant investment on on the part of brands, but. Um, how do you measure success and how how do you recommend that brands measure return on investment in, in these DXP investments?
0: I thought you might ask me a question like this. <laughs> so I did a little bit of research. I love data. You could probably <laughs> gather from all of my answers, everything is data focused. <laughs> so I I did a little bit of research. So architecturally advanced and feature rich DXPs. Can expect gains in a number of areas first one revenue growth and there's a statistic out there brands with superior cx customer experience generate 5.7 times more revenue than their competitors with inferior customer experiences that's huge yeah. and i gotta say i kind of agree with it if if i'm on a website or if I'm dealing with a vendor and I'm getting frustrated, I I don't have the time or patience. There's so many other people out there to do business with. So that, that number is huge. Loyalty is another return on the investment. 65% of customers say that they would become a long-term purchaser of a brand if they could encounter positive experiences throughout the customer journey. So it's, It's the journey, you know, having those personalized and, you know, customizable experiences will translate into loyal customers. Cost savings, Uh, concentration of core business components in one platform establishes a single source of truth, which generates actionable insights, reduces misplaced assets, and helps eliminate redundancies in the MarTech stack. And as a former user of these, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, I so many inefficiencies when I would have to go to one platform for one thing and another, and the, you can't help but have inconsistencies in messages, and you might forget to update it here and there. So huge cost savings and yeah. time time to market. It, it makes the information management streamlined, accessible transparent and seamless across all channels so it's it's a huge huge return on investment and lastly collaboration dxp has established a centralized location for cross-departmental collaboration on the development and delivery of customer experience across various channels so there's a lot of return on investments to be had
1: Before we continue, I'd like to make sure you're aware of the upcoming CXPS 2023 conference, May 8 through 11, 2023 in Durham, North Carolina. CXPS is a great CX event focused on professional services firms that want to know how to take the next steps to make their firm successful in integrating client experience with their firm's strategic initiatives. To learn more and register for the conference, Go to Clientexperience.org slash CXPS conference. That's Clientexperience.org slash CXPS conference. And you can register with the code AGILE200, that's A G I L E200, for $200 off your tickets. You can hear from top professional services executives and CX thought leaders like myself through a combination of keynotes, breakout sessions, workshops, and panel discussions. Make sure to register at clientexperience.org CXPS conference with the code agile200 for $200 off your tickets. Now let's get back to the show. We touched a little bit on on headless and, and composable, but I wanted to come back to that as well and, and maybe dive a little deeper as well as for those that are a little less familiar with those terms, what do we mean by composable, particularly in the context of a, a DXP?
0: Yeah, it, it can be very confusing. <laughs> if you don't mind, I, before I answer that, I'm actually... I often hear headless and composable used interchangeably. So I I just want to clarify that. Composable DXP and headless architecture, they're different approaches to building the digital experience platform. A composable architecture refers to the ability to easily mix and match different components or services within the DXP, while headless architecture refers to the separation of the front end and the back end of the DXP. So, that's that is the difference there. Um, yeah. I guess the front end is the head in yeah. this case. Yeah. Um, but composable architecture focuses on the modularization of various components and services within that DXP, so they can be easily integrated and customized. And this approach is great. It, it gives flexibility, scalability, and agility in building and managing digital experiences.
1: Great, great. So how do you prepare your DXP for this composable approach? And um, you've kind of touched on some of the benefits, but maybe dive a little deeper on, you know, what some of the benefits are to be gained when you do um, use composability with DXP.
0: Yeah, uh, you can start by breaking down your various components and services into smaller more modular pieces that can be easily integrated and customized. That involves designing the APIs, microservices, and individual pieces of functionality that can be accessed and modified independently. And by adopting this approach, you can gain tremendous benefits. First and foremost, of course, we've talked about flexibility and and agility in managing your digital experience. But what's really good is you can easily swap out components as needed without disrupting the entire system. And it it allows you to respond quickly to changing business needs and customer demands. Composable architecture also allows you to scale your digital experiences more efficiently so you can add and remove individual components based on traffic or user usage patterns. It helps ensure that the DXP is always running at optimal performance. Finally, you know, breaking down the DXP into smaller, more modular pieces, you reduce the risk of vendor lock-in. You're not tied to any particular technology or supplier and it gives you greater autonomy and control over your digital experience. It allows you to experiment with new technologies and stay current with trends, new technologies, and stay on trend.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the last... Topic that I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, just some some ways to get started. So, you know, there there may be people listening to this right now that they know that their website needs some help. Maybe it's been several years since they really thought about a, a change. Maybe they're already look, looking into that process and about to release an RFP or whatever whatever their process might be. So. Let's talk a little bit about getting started with some of these optimizations that we talked about. And so one one way to start is to do a site audit. And certainly I've I've been through this process as, as well. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about what a site audit entails and what customers can expect to receive from one?
0: When I audit a website, I look at everything. I start by running a few key pages through Google's PageSpeed Insights tool. It's free. It reports pages, user experience on both mobile and desktop devices. It uses Lighthouse and it gives you a report card, if you will, looking at the performance, accessibility, best practices, and and SEO. If you have a low performance score, I often find that you got a lot of large images contributing to the low performance. So uh, in this audit, I'll identify some of those problem images so we can address those. If your accessibility score is low, uh, some of the low hanging fruit could simply be adding appropriate alt text. And so I'll identify those, those issues now. In each of these, there are things that a content administrator can't fix that you'd need to use your retaining retainer services budget for, but these are things that can immediately be addressed just with the content author. It also does a best practices scan and it highlights opportunities to improve the web app's overall code health. And again, those recommendations are probably gonna be creating tickets in your retainer services. But for SEO, I'm looking at a lot of things. I'm looking at duplicate or missing metadata, titles, content. I look at potential issues with the URL structures. A web audit, I'll uh, look to see if there are any 400 or 500 errors that need to be addressed. I also look at canonicals. If a page doesn't indicate a canonical URL, Google's going to pick what they think the best URL is. And it could lead to unpredictability. It could lead to multiple versions being indexed and you could actually get blocked if they think you're, you have duplicate content out there. I also spend a good amount of time when I do website audits, identifying potential security issues with the site and, and focusing on what we need to do to correct those. I also do uh, SEO reports for keywords, keyword ranking, website analytics, competitive data, Comprehensive. It, it, it covers everything from how the site is performing, from technology. Is the content on the site accurate and optimized? And are we bringing in the right visitors? It's it's a comprehensive site audit, and you know our our clients are really getting a lot out of those.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely sounds like it, it covers a lot. Um, mm-hmm. When when's the right right time to perform this site audit?
0: But, you know, I'll tell you, I like to do a mini audit right before a site, a new site launches. You know, if everything is done correctly, there doesn't need to be a drop in web traffic after a new site launches. But if it does happen, I have that mini audit available to help me quickly identify some of the problem areas so we can get the traffic back up where it needs to be. Hopefully that's not going to be an issue. But, you know, as far as went how often to do it and, and at what time. I like to run full site audits quarterly. Now I've got regular monitoring for issues and I've got weekly reports, monthly reports, but these full in-depth site audits are done quarterly for the clients.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, Sue, thanks so much for joining the show. I've got one last question before we wrap up here. You've given a lot of great advice already. We've talked through a lot about DXP investments and just a, l- a lot of the different ways to look at it. But you know, if you were to give one piece of advice for an organization that really wants to maximize their digital experience platform investment in the months ahead, wh- what would that be?
0: I would say to prioritize data-driven decision-making to gain deeper insights into the customer behavior and preferences because they can inform targeted marketing campaigns and personalized experiences. And embrace automation and artificial intelligence. It can help streamline processes, improve efficiencies, and, and anything from chat box to voice assistant, predictive analytics, There's, there is so much. AI is just exploding right now and, and embrace it. I think it'll help you in the long run. You wanna be, you know, best in class. Lastly, and you consider partnering with a trusted technology provider like RDA that specializes in DXP solutions. They can offer expert guidance and support you through the entire process from initial planning and implementation to ongoing maintenance and optimization.
1: Great, great, wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sue Rivero, Director of Consulting Services at RDA for joining the show. You can learn more about Sue and RDA by following the links in the show notes. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com.